Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Evening everyone. You all doing alright? You good? Um, yeah, so it's very exciting. New is very exciting. Tash done a brilliant job helping us pull it together. Um, we would, as Tash said, like to make it as accessible for everyone. Just so you know, in, in comparison to other festivals, it's so cheap. It's so cheap to try and make. Uh, we're hoping we can cover our costs. That's basically where we're at with it. But if you are really, really struggling, um, please do speak to us. We want to make sure that everyone can get there. And you can um, start saving now because we think that the Lord is really stirring something wonderful. I think we've got 12 people booked in. <laughs> so far, we're hoping for at least maybe 1,200, okay? Um, seriously, that's what we were, we're, we're waiting for and uh, have expectation for, so um, yeah, get, get signed up. Okay, so, so as we know, we've been looking at this theme and do it again over the last uh, few weeks and exploring the theme of revival and allowing the Holy Spirit to stir our hearts, to stir our minds, to begin to imagine what it the Lord might want to do amongst us in this day, despite the brokenness all around us, despite what looks like at times even the decline and the irrelevance of the church, we believe that the Holy Spirit is stirring our hearts for a sense of awakening and revival. All right, son? God bless you. You all right? We're going to talk about that tonight, William. We're going to talk about the cross, son. All right? Amen? Amen. Amen. You can stay there as long as you want, William, all right? It's a joy just over the last number of weeks to realize that the Holy Spirit has been stirring hearts and people are feeling a resonance in the Spirit at this moment in time. It feels like the Holy Spirit is fermenting something in our midst and uh, deep waters are being stirred, deep, deep places within us. And uh, I think we saw some of the first fruits of this, to be honest, before the summer. And uh, in hindsight, I think, you know, holidays are important and all. In hindsight, I think, you know, we lost some momentum. Yeah, and we can learn from that. Yeah, but uh, I feel the Lord in His grace is here again, and He's stirring, and He's deepening our hearts, and I feel there is momentum. And God in His grace is moving. He wants to teach us how to honor His presence in new ways, and even more, become even more sensitive to that. <laughs> oh, bless you. Bless you. I receive it, William. I receive it. I receive the love. Amen. Amen. God bless you, son. So we've, we've felt the need to continue to um, keep the series going, basically probably throughout the month of October as well. We're going to give it another couple of weeks here where I'll try and do my best to steer things in. We've got my good friend, somebody remember Adam Cox in on the 20th of October. And he's going to um, stoke things, I'm sure, um, like he usually does in that regard. And, and we want to do that for two reasons. Because we think the Spirit's moving, first and foremost. and um, We don't want to rush away from that. We feel there's more. Uh, and more the release around us. Just a, a little kind of exhortation from um, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said, there is no more important subject of the Christian church at this present hour than this very question of the need of revival. It is second to none. He went on to say this, when did you last hear anyone praying for revival? Praying that God might open the windows of heaven and pour out his spirit. 
When did you last pray for that yourself? I suggest we are seriously neglecting this almost entirely. We are guilty of forgetting the authority of the Holy Spirit. When God sends revival, he can do more in a single day than in 50 years of all our organization. That is the verdict of sheer history which emerges clearly from the long story of the church. Uh, and so we, uh, we want to take seriously what we think the Lord's doing amongst us and honor the moving of the Spirit. Secondly, because we do think this is a significant time, um, uh, Dave mentioned we are moving towards, um, and not that this is the be-all and end-all, but we are moving at the end of this month to a conference in Belfast where almost a 1,000 people from 30 different nations will gather in Belfast. Remember last week I said, I think the eye of the Lord is upon us. We're part of a prayer movement that is la- has lasted now non-stop praying for 20 years, okay? Remember a few weeks ago we talked about the Moravians who prayed for 100. When the first prayer room tried to last for a month, all of a sudden we're at 20 years, and it doesn't seem out of the question to get to 50. And it doesn't seem out of the question to be part of a prayer movement that could last beyond our lives and our kids and our kids' kids could continue on. And so as people converge in our country, they could go anywhere in the world, they're coming to Belfast. We just really want to continue to lean into what we think the Lord's doing. And there's still tickets left for that if you want to get involved. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to lean deeper and deeper into that, drive into God's heart, allow space for his presence to come upon us in fresh fire and, and power, and to allow the Holy Spirit to fan into flame his love for us and our love for Jesus. Uh, a brief kind of recap, and then I just want to land one point tonight, so hopefully I'll be done as close as I can to half past seven so that we can leave good time for response. Before, before we just jump into that, though, it's probably just important that we're understanding the flow. We introduced some of the terms. I'm not going to take time to do that but uh, tonight again, but we talked about how regeneration is that kind of personal um, encounter of the living God and the act of salvation and the forgiveness of sins and a moving of something new in our lives. The old is gone, the new has come. And how when that happens to lots of people or when lots of God's people um, start to get fresh energy from the Holy Spirit around a particular doctrine or promise, then we see elements of renewal throughout church history. And when that kind of uh, scales up, if you like, and God starts to move in power in response to often to the renewal that's happening in the church, then we see revival or awakening breaking out beyond the building in the culture. And I, I said last week that while revival isn't probably our present reality, I'm wondering, are we on this kind of a place? Are we were in a place of renewal where the Spirit is speaking to us, stirring us wetting our expectations and our anticipations, challenging us about the state of our hearts and calling us into deeper levels of repentance. And, um, and that's where we find ourselves. And so because of that, then we need to be aware of where we feel the Lord is leading us. And I suppose as leaders, we want to help you discern and together discern as a body how our posture should be positioned in these times as we lean towards revival and awakening and what would be some of the signs that we should be aware of so we can engage with this, what we think biblically and also learning from church history and revivals in the past. And I have uh, proposed that there's five particular observations. We did the first three last week. First of all, when there comes to times of revival and awakening, there is, they, are, they, they, they begin out of a place of holy discontent. The revival dynamic is born out of a deep unsettling in our spirits, a deep ache in our hearts of the state of the world and often the state of the church. 
and we find ourselves in that point starting to grieve and ache and desire and long for God to do something. And that discontent, that kind of like holy agitation that things aren't the way that we want them to be. It's not like a cynical discontent. It doesn't become um, a doubting even discontent. It crystallizes, as we said last week, into a point where we acknowledge it and we want to do something about it. It's a discontent that moves in the opposite spirit to the discontent that is typified by the spirit of the age and the spirit of the world around us. It's different than that. Secondly, when out of that place of discontent, we start to feel the burden of God. God trusts us enough to thrust His burden on His heart upon us, and we start to feel and to long and to cry out for the things that He does. Intercession is birthed in our hearts by the Spirit and expresses itself in all sorts of groaning and travailing as the deep ache of God expresses itself through us. And as we release that burden into the atmosphere, it changes the atmosphere, and we become aware God is close. God is close. The fear of the Lord comes upon us because we have prayed the burden into being. We contend to see that happen. And then thirdly, the you know, as that starts to happen in us, we realize that God is doing that in other people as well, and a remnant a remnant-type dynamic starts to kick in where we realize that God has people that He is connecting together in the Spirit in all sorts of beautiful ways, and they come together to cry out to God, do it again. And we looked at loads of examples through revival history, and there's loads in the Bible as well. The idea of the remnant is, is very pertinent, and we feel that God is doing something here. He's crawling and drawing people together with that same one hardness. And I just want to look at one tonight before we respond to the Lord. And the next one is on the screen, the centrality of the cross. And this isn't, by the way, with these five points. These are just five kind of observations, right? There's probably more. And there might be more by next week, right? But but this this is just not me. What I really want to be careful to say is this is not me prescribing some kind of formula for revival. Because God does what God does. This is me just trying to through reading and visiting and researching and all of that, trying to notice and pull out some threads that I think are important for us as we lean towards that place and as we allow the Lord to stir that kind of an imagination. But it seems throughout church history that any move of God in history, since the early church, there is a core focus on the person of Jesus and his cross in every move of God. And the victory over sin the beauty of forgiveness of sin, the victory over sin, death, and hell. And it seems like an obvious thing to say, doesn't it? Because the cross is the crux, literally, the crucifixion. The cross is the crux of Christianity. But the reality is there's a sense in which in the church in the Western world today that we have actually lost our focus a little bit on the cross, even in our lives. You know, you can read books about Christianity today, and they don't even really mention the cross. You can watch TV programs. You can watch people on TV talk about God and stuff, and you just wonder how much it's got to do with the cross. Yeah. It, it feels like the cross has become an appendix to the story rather than the centerpiece of the story itself. We cherry-pick parts of the Bible that we like, don't we? Because it's a big book, and we find verses to preach sermons or even to tell ourselves around how we can enhance our life how we can have a successful life, how to have a prosperous life, how to be the best version 
of you, how to kind of love yourself kind of teaching. And, um, and while those sermons might tickle our ears, and the church production that we put on might also help with that at times, the reality is the church in the West is pretty powerless. We're not seeing the power of God transforming lives. And uh, Charles Spurgeon had something to say about this. He said, The Spirit of God bears no witness to Christless sermons. Leave Jesus out of your preaching and the Holy Spirit will never come upon you. Why should I? Has he not come on purpose that he may testify of Christ? Did not Jesus say, He shall glorify me, for he shall receive what is mine and show it to you? Yes, the subject was Christ and nothing but Christ, and such is the teaching which the Spirit of the God, the Spirit of God will own. Be it ours never to wander from the central point, may we determine to know nothing among men but Christ and his cross. When it comes to revival and revival people and the outpouring of the Spirit, it will always lead us to the cross of Christ because that's where the power is. The power that we see in revivals is at the cross. And the reality is that the transformation that we're all longing for, the personal revival, the way that we want to rejuvenate our lives, and I've talked over the last couple of weeks about how we do that in all sorts of diff different superficial ways to try and revive ourselves and rejuvenate ourselves and make us feel better for ourselves. The reality is that the personal revival that all of us are longing for comes from the cross of Jesus Christ. When we welcome the Spirit into our lives, He will lead us to the cross. He will lead us to a cross-shaped life. He will help us realize our desperate need, our desperate need for the forgiveness of sins that comes in Jesus. He will help us understand that the place that we need to get to first place in the morning is the cross of Jesus Christ. He will help us realize our desperation for what Jesus did for us at the cross. William Temple said, the only thing of our very own which we contribute to our salvation is the sin which makes it necessary. And when the Spirit starts to move, He leads us to the cross because we realize that in of ourselves, we have nothing to offer Jesus. He leads us every day to a place of forgiveness of sins. He leads us to a place out of ourself, to a place of transformation. Galatians chapter 5, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep step in the Spirit. If you want to live in the Spirit, He'll lead you to the cross. He'll lead you to the cross every day. He'll lead you to a place of surrender all over again in order that you might find the life that you were supposed to live. Because this life is only found when we lay ours down. Yeah? And so when we realize at the cross the power of self, the authority of that deep, independent, self-centered gene that's in every single one of us, that sometimes gets the better of us, that produces all kinds of sin within us, which produces all kinds of brokenness in our lives, which helps us break the lives of other people as well, sin in the system of our lives and the authority that sin has in our lives as human beings born in sin, we realize that at the cross and only at the cross is the power of self defeated and overcome through the sacrifice of Jesus. Because Jesus, one day, when he wanted to do what he wanted, or when he at least potentially contemplated the idea of what would it be like for my will to be done. Jesus set his face like a flint, sweating great drops of blood, and said, not my will, 
but yours, Father, be done. And because Jesus did it, because Jesus broke that power, and because Jesus overcame where every other human being that's ever lived couldn't overcome, we can now overcome. We can be free from the power of self. This is what Paul said to the sorry, this is what Paul said to the Romans, yeah. For God has done what the law could not do, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering to condemn sin in the flesh. That is a startling verse. For God has done what the law could not do. He sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus bore in his own body the condemnation for sin, the deadly power of sin that kills our souls. It's like a poisonous snake, and every single one of us got bit by it. And here is the truth. It kills you. The poisonous snake of sin brings death. We were dead in sins. But the beauty of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ... (laughs) is that that has been canceled in and over our lives. And the authority that binds us, binds us to that sin has been canceled as well. He put himself in the place where sin itself was to be dealt with. He went to the root of the problem, freed us from the charge of sin, wiped it out, and stands us up tonight in a place of no condemnation in Christ. In delivering himself over to the cross... He delivers, ourself, he delivers us from the wages of sin. And so we know this personally, that when what we know personally of how we can overcome sin and walk in a life in the Spirit, we see this kind of go wide in a revival. It happens on a large scale. Remember, revival is renewal gone viral. The Spirit is poured out. And whole cities, nations, and people groups come. Where do they come to? Do they come to a good church service? No. They come to the cross. They come weeping. They come bowed over. They come bent. They come broken. And they come to the cross. At Pentecost, we see this throughout revival history, but we see it in the Bible. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And we love that, don't we? As good charismatics, we love the fact that the Holy Spirit was poured out. We love the tongues of fire. We love the wind that came. We love all that went on in that moment. But sometimes we forget that the thing that happened when they rolled out of the streets was, what did they do? Peter preached the cross. So the Spirit will always bring us to the cross. And so in the same chapter as the Holy Spirit falls on those people, this is what it says. Peter goes out and he preaches and he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The Spirit falls, and the cross of Jesus Christ is preached. And yet, for all the beauty of the cross as we know it, we're living in times when the power of, cross, the, power of the cross seems to be ignored. 
And what I don't mean here is returning to some kind of old school, kind of turn or burn type of preaching. Because I don't think that's the whole gospel. I'm not trying to talk about getting like sort of all kind of fiery in the wrong sense of the word. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about the way we present the cross as an event in history that we just acknowledge with a one-off decision to get into heaven. I'm talking about something more than that. I'm talking about ignoring the ongoing application and appropriation of the cross to our lives every day and missing the truth that it's through the cross that God wants to unite everything to himself. Everything that's broken in your business, everything that's broken in your school, everything that's broken in your community, God wants to unite it in himself through the work of the cross. And the enemy has sought to dampen and dilute this. But the reality is, in the world that's ignoring the cross, the cross stands above it all. The cross stands above it all, shining bright, the centerpiece of history and the place where redemption for the nations flows from. And revival people will know this because it is the thing that the Spirit elevates in the time of revival. He elevates the cross. When the Spirit is poured out, there's a whole new level of submission to the Lordship of Jesus and His cross as the supreme authority in our lives. And when that happens, when the Spirit elevates the cross and people submit themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, power is released. That's why we see amazing things in revival, because the cross is front and center. Because more power is released because more focus is on the cross. And less focuses on ourselves and our good works. And so one of the things that revival people discover is the blood never loses its power. The blood never loses its power. Because the lamb is slain for all the sins of humanity. And in times of great darkness where the wisdom of the world seems like it is winning, seems like it is prevailing, there is a remnant. We cry out to God for a fresh realization of how the cross stands in opposition to the systems, the sin systems, the principalities and powers of the world. The cross is an offense to the principalities and powers of this world. It's an offense to the spirit of the age, and it doesn't make any sense to them because in it is the antithesis of the way the world works. It's the opposite. Because in the cross, the most sacrificial act of history, sorry, the most powerful act in history is the most sacrificial act of history. It's just a different way of looking at life and in the world. And the, the, the cross flips the world upside down, or as we often say more rightly, the right way up. And so that's why Paul would say the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And in times like we are living in, that is being exaggerated. It's becoming more and more foolish to the systems of the world. But maybe to the people of God, it's becoming more and more powerful. Maybe to the people of God, there's coming a deeper revelation of the power of God that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Where the systems of the world see foolishness, we see wisdom. Where the systems of the world see weakness, the remnant sees power. And so the other way of looking at this at the moment is this could be a great opportunity for the church, never more than ever, because the reality is 
The systems of the world are failing. And despite the secular myth that we're all moving towards utopia, we're not. We have got in and over sales. We've got more sickness, mental health, suicide, anxiety than we've ever had before. We're all over the place politically, economically, and morally. And as much as the systems of the world are promising some kind of process, they're progress, they're not delivering. And they need a greater vision. They need a vision of the glory of God. And maybe, just maybe, the Holy Spirit is allowing the systems of the world to be shown as foolishness so that there is opportunity for the cross of Jesus Christ to reveal to them the glory of God. And in the midst of the swirl of this culture all around us, shining bright, shining bright in the midst of the darkness is the glory of God revealed in the face of Jesus Christ and His sacrifice on the cross. That's what John, particularly John, in the gospel, his gospel is trying to tell us. He's trying to show us that the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And if you know a bit of your Old Testament, you'll know that the images of God, of deep encounters, like Daniel, Moses, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they had something to do with a king-like figure who was exalted. And those encounters revealed something of the glory of God. And the glory of God is His goodness and His character. And so when Isaiah falls before the king who's high and lifted up, and when Ezekiel has this picture of the Lord, and when Moses has these encounters, it's almost like they progress as the Old Testament progresses, and it becomes more kind of crystallized that there's like a king-like figure in the midst of these amazing encounters where there's angels and fire and seraphim and all of that kind of thing, and angels crying, holy, holy, holy. And John in his epistle, and I really want you to try and understand this, and I feel like the Holy Spirit wants to reveal this tonight. What John is building in all of those images in his gospel to tell us, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up, and you're going to see the glory of God. And then it gets to the end of the gospel of John. And what does the Son of Man lifted up look like? What does God really look like? It looks like the King of Kings hanging on a Roman cross, almost invisible or almost unrecognizable due to the beatings that he has taken for the sins of humanity. The glory of God is a God who will come and come like us and go to a cross and take the sins of the world. He will take up not just my sin, but every sin of pedophilia, every sin of murder, every sin of greed, every sin, the sturdiest, ugliest, blackest sin that you can think of. He takes it all up into his body in that moment. That's the kind of God we have. And the glory of God is revealed on the cross of Jesus Christ. This is good news. This is good news to the world that we have a God who will go to such lengths to win us for himself. And that is why when all of heaven sits around and goes, can we find one that would be worthy to open the scroll? And I know that we love the fact that God is the lion of the, Jew, of the tribe of Judah, and we sing that, but ultimately the way God reveals himself is a little slain lamb. He's the one that's worthy. He's the one that's worthy to open the scroll because he has redeemed all mankind through his own blood. 
This is the glory of God. And throughout revival history, give me another five minutes, okay? Throughout revival history, we come to realize that the people who the Spirit pours himself out on, they are drawn to the cross. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. The Moravians who I chatted about a few weeks ago who catalyzed the 100 years of prayer and started essentially in some ways the modern day mission movement back in the 1700s. Their motto was, may the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. I've just been saying that to myself. What about that for a vision statement for your life? To give your life so that the lamb may receive the reward of his suffering. They'd had a glimpse of what Jesus had done. I find this really quite almost emotional. The popular story was some of the first two Moravians that went out was Johann Debar and David Nietzschmann. They were two young Moravian brethren from Germany. They were called in 1732 to minister to African slaves on the islands of St. Thomas in the Caribbean. How did they get from Germany to the Caribbean in 1732? They found a way. Allegedly, they were told that they would not be allowed to do such a thing, so they sold themselves into slavery in order to get on the boat to get to the slaves to share the gospel. And listen to this. As a ship pulled away from the docks, and all their loved ones stood on the side of the docks, and the boats pulled away, and they were maybe never going to facing the possibility of never seeing them again. What did they shout out to their loved ones? May the lamb receive the reward of his suffering. In the Welsh Revival, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, where did it lead them to? The cross. Some of you might know this, but the revival song of the Welsh Revival in 1905, Here is love vast as the ocean. They sung it time after time. A young girl broke out into it one night, and the power of God came. When the Prince of Life a ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Listen to this, on the Mount of Crucifixion. I've been thinking about this all week. Fountains opened. Floodgates opened. What if the Spirit is leading us to the cross for the fountains to open? and wide for everyone. What if the floodgates are going to open because the Spirit is reminding us of the power of the cross of Jesus Christ? Last one in the Hebrides revival. Donald, a praying teenager, I told you about last week, who sometimes Duncan Campbell had to rely on, who was the great preacher. This is what happened in one of the meetings. This is Duncan Campbell's words. The going was hard, I looked down and I saw little Donald sitting there in the seat. I saw his head was bowed and I saw that the floor was wet with his tears. I said to myself, well, now there's a young lad nearer to God than you or I. Oh, there is a young lad who's in touch with God and I stopped preaching. I looked down at this young lad and I said, Donald, I believe God would have you lead us in prayer. He was right in the midst of my address. And the young lad stood to his feet. That morning at family worship, they were reading Revelation 4, where John had the vision of the open door. And I saw a door open in heaven. 
when he comes, he'll expose the error of the godless. Oh, sorry. Um, let me just read the rest of it. I haven't put the next part of the quote on it. Let me just read the rest of it. Let me see. Oh, sorry, there it is. And the young man stood. The vision came before him. And this is what he said in his prayers. Right? So Duncan Campbell's preaching. Can't get any breakthrough. Sees a young man wet with tears. Thinks he's closer to God than me. I'm going to get him to pray in the middle of the meeting. Young man gets up. And he says, God, I seem to be gazing in through the open door. And I seem to see the lamb standing in the midst of the throne. And he has the keys of death and life at his girdle. And then he stopped and he began to weep. And for a moment or so he wept and he wept. Oh, the brokenness. And when he was able to control himself, he lifted his eyes towards heaven and he cried, God, there is power. Let it loose. Let it loose. And suddenly the power of God fell upon the congregation. What did Donald see? He saw the lamb. He saw right up in there. He saw the lamb. Where does the power come from? It comes from the cross. Why are we not seeing enough power? Maybe we need to fall in love with the cross of Jesus Christ again. Maybe we need to run to it tonight. Maybe we need to get on our knees. I feel like what the Lord's doing in the world at the moment He's exposing, like he said, his spirit would, the sin systems of the world. And we need to be careful with judgment language because we need to start with our own hearts. But I think the spirit is bringing a judgment on the sin systems of the world, exposing them for what they are. But God's love is not revenge-orientated. It's restorative. And he didn't come to condemn the world. He came to rescue it. And the message of the cross tonight is... Mercy triumphs over judgment. And Jesus paid the penalty so that justice could be served in and of himself to tell the world that mercy triumphs. There's a lot of sin in the world today. Do you know what? It grieves the heart of God. But there's even more grace available. There is even more grace available. And so that's why in that age-old prayer of Habakkuk, he said, in your wrath. Remember mercy. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.